As you look at the world around us, um, there is a tremendous amount that uh, we as Christians see and know that um, sometimes sometimes it's hard to know exactly what to do, um, but we know that there are things in this world that uh, we should lament, that we should mourn for, uh, that we should pray about, that we should try to help uh, in any way that we can. And this last week obviously was no different. Uh, it's, it's been mentioned in prayers and there's been kind of a dark cloud um, looming over, I think, our country and over a lot of us over the last week when you consider uh, the, the senseless act of violence and, and murder that took place, um, some of some uh, very young children. Uh, and, uh, and it's hard to know exactly um, you know, what words to say about that, but I do want to uh, let you all be aware of something um, it wasn't just this week. This is something that happens, and it happens far more often than it should. It's something that should never, ever, ever happen, yet it's a, it is a problem that uh, we face, and that it is, it's become such a problem, it's like you'll see a news story about it, and then three days later, you're just like living your life like it's, just because it's become such a, a part of our culture and society, and those types of things, uh, need to stop. And there are many, many reasons that uh, we can go to God in prayer, but I think that's one of them. Uh, I also know that there are other things um, that impact us daily that uh, could weigh on our minds, that could cause us anxiety and, and stress and turmoil. Uh, you know, I, I know of people who are looking for uh, baby formula and having a really difficult time with that. I know of people who, because of inflation and economic instability, they're facing pressure that they hadn't really faced before. I know there's a lot of concern over uh, wars taking place in the world. There are, uh, there's a long list of things that I could go down, not to mention the personal loss that so many have suffered, whether it's the loss of loved ones, whether it is a sickness that has entered into your life. It's like, it's like you can just, when you start counting the hardships that people are facing, you can make a very long list, and these are not small things. Um, so one thing that, that we as a congregation have done and that I want you to be aware of is uh, June 26th, the last Sunday of uh, June, uh, we are going to have a day of prayer and fasting. Um, we are not going to tell you exactly what to pray about or what to fast for, but we do want to invite you to look into your life, to look at the world around you, and to dedicate a day of prayer to God. Um, as we lead up to it, you'll get more information about it. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about fasting. We'll talk a little bit more about prayer. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things that um, have caused anxiety and stress and hardship in our lives. Uh, we'll also talk about how uh, prayer and fasting can be something you do as a way of, of offering gratitude and, and thanksgiving to blessings in your life. But we will, throughout the month of June, be heading towards that uh, date, and a lot of the lessons will kind of focus on some of those uh, areas and some of those issues of concern. So I want you to be aware of that. Um, also, regarding the shooting that happened in Texas, um, if you want uh, a way to help, um, contact me afterwards. I was, I was emailed uh, from... The, there's, there's a church about a mile from where that happened, uh, and they are um, 
I know some of the area congregations are going to be helping and some people are. So if you want a way to help to, to contribute, um, let, let me know and I'll try to give you some information that was sent to me and, uh, and that might be a way that you can, you can help as well. Um, but so anyway, there's a lot to pray about. Uh, so let's actually begin this lesson with a word of prayer and then we'll, then we'll get into it. Our Holy Father, uh, we love you, God, and we trust you, God, and we know that you are good, and we know that uh, you have created a good world, but at the same time, Father, we know that there is darkness that abounds. We know that there is demonic evil. We know that there are, um, there are sins that uh, destroy and that kill and that harm and that steal hope and that cause tremendous pain and heartbreak and turmoil, Father. And we pray that those would stop. And we pray that you would uh, bless us. We pray that you would bless uh, our people. We pray, Father, that you would uh, change hearts, that you would change minds, that you would make any changes that are necessary to get this to stop. Uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, give us hope. And we pray that you would give us conviction to uh, change hearts, change lives, Father, and uh, to, to commit ourselves um, to goodness, to commit ourselves to nonviolence. Father, we pray that you be with anybody who uh, is having those types of, of dark thoughts. Uh, we pray that they would, uh, we would be able to contact them, that they would feel open and honest talking with us, that uh, those types of things would not happen. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, that you in your infinite wisdom will do what is necessary for this to stop and that we could be um, an active part of that process. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death that gives us hope even in the face of death. And we pray that we're able to bring that hope to many others also. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Okay, so uh, we have been studying through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at uh, a lot of the things that Paul has done, that Peter has done, that the early church has done, and uh, as we brought uh, our study kind of to a conclusion of the book of Acts last week, there was one thing I wanted to, to stress that it, it pops up over and over and over again, like page after page as you read through. And I think that um, it's pertinent and important for us, uh, especially when you consider things like we just talked about. Um, we live in a dark world, and one thing that can help us through it is not facing that darkness alone, is having a community, having the presence of other believers, having people who you can look to, who you can see, who you can smile at, who you can hug, who you can share time with. Um, one of the things that I noticed in the book of Acts is there was a lot of darkness that popped up on page after page, but then there was also this overwhelming desire that you see repeatedly of the church wanting to be together. So many of Paul's journeys, there are these sentences that pop up about how he was desiring to see somebody or how he longed to be there with someone. And you begin, you begin to, to realize that I think one of the most important themes in Acts is the idea of presence, is the idea of community, of togetherness, of the church being the unified people of God. And that's not just something that pops up in Acts. You see that throughout the Bible. In fact, it's not even something that just pops up among people. It's something that uh, God himself constantly longs for presence and, uh, and, uh, and community with us, his creation. You think, you know, if there's 
God is perfect in holiness and purity and in all goodness. He's almighty. Uh, and yet he even desires to be among us, uh, people who, uh, who so often are weak and frail and, and sinful. And so one of the ways that God has gone about having community with us is forgiving us of our sins, making us pure, having us be holy as he himself is holy. And that's one of the great storylines of the Bible is God's desire for presence. Uh, it, you can open up your Bible to the first pages and you see Eden, this blissful place of life and a tree of life where there is no death and where God is present among his people. And you see, obviously, that, that sin uh, marred that relationship. Uh, but the rest of the Bible, you begin to see these times where God comes back and has his presence on earth, whether, whether it's Moses with the burning bush, and Moses is able to stand before the very presence of God and the holy ground that he's on. You see this with the tabernacle. The tabernacle was designed to be like a portable Eden-type structure where God dwelled, and you could bring it with you. Even through the wilderness, you could have a place for God. And one of the, bo the book of uh, Leviticus, I think one of the major purposes of that book is if all the children of Israel are living in tents in the wilderness and God is going to live in a tent, the people are going to have to be able to live in the presence of a holy God. And the only way for that to happen is for them to be holy and for their unholiness to be purified and eradicated from the land. And so Leviticus has all of these measures in place to remind people of cleanliness, of purity, of holiness, so that they can live in the midst of God. They're, they're going to live in a tent, and God's tent's going to be right in the middle. They need to have the, the holiness of God given to them, which is why you have that reoccurring phrase, be holy as I am holy. You see the same thing happen with uh, the temple. Uh, the temple becomes a, a um, not a portable uh, Eden, but like a, a stationary fixed place where the presence of God dwells among the people. You see this in uh, the incarnation of Jesus himself, where Jesus in his own life is able to be that living, breathing, walking, talking temple. When he cleanses the temple in John's gospel and he's asked what, what this means and what is the sign that he's showing in this, he says, destroy this temple in three days, I will rebuild it. And the, the people are incredulous thinking, it took 46 years to build this temple. How are you gonna rebuild it in three days? And John lets us know he was speaking of the temple of his body. If you've ever seen like the, those old westerns where you, you have the, the two uh, cowboys walk up and say, you know, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. I don't watch a lot of westerns, so I'm kind of inventing the scene in my head. But I know I've heard that phrase before. But, uh, but they say that that's kind of the, the idea of Jesus and the temple there. It's like the presence of God is in Jesus. Forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus. And so as as Jesus replaces the very purpose and function of the temple, that temple starts to grow obsolete. And Jesus cleansing the temple is a demonstration of that. But you have here God desiring to be present among his people in the most incredible world transformative way possible. He does that through the incarnation and the person of Jesus. He literally becomes flesh and becomes one of us so that God can be present among his people. And the idea that the church carries with them from that point forward is that we are the body of Christ and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like we continue this idea of God's presence in the world through God's presence with us. Like you see it in Eden, you see it in the tabernacle, you see it in the temple, you see it in Jesus. And then we're called to be the very presence of, of Christ on earth in the body of Christ on earth. And so it's like on the one hand, yes, Jesus' body did, there is the ascension. But on the other hand, 
Jesus is still very much present. In fact, that's one of the remarkable things that pops up in Acts. Remember, when Paul is persecuting the church, Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And it's like, well, you're not even here. You're, you're in heaven. How am I persecuting you? Well, there seems to be this intricate relationship between Christ and his people. To reject his people is to reject Christ. To uh, persecute his people is to persecute Christ. And at the same way, if you remember the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25 uh, about uh, you know, when you stand before God on the day of judgment and you hear that you, uh, you know, I was sick and you did not help me. I was in prison and you did not visit me. I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was poor and you did not clothe me. And you say, when? Like, when did I ever see you, Jesus, in any of those states and walk by you? And he says, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And on the flip side of that, by clothing the hungry and by feet, or the clothing the, the naked and by feeding the hungry and by helping the poor and by visiting the prisoned, you're able to act in, in a way of service and love, not just towards people, but towards Jesus himself. Like the church embodies who Christ is, and in that way, the presence of God continues with each one of us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and dwells in the church collectively as the people of God, and that's a major idea going all the way back to Eden that can be traced through the Bible, and it's one that culminates in the new heavens and the new earth. When you read the book of Revelation and you see that the presence of God is among men and there's no longer any need for a temple because God is among them. Like that, that's the closing picture of the Bible is God's presence. So here's the idea. Presence matters. God isn't content to say, well, I can forgive their sins from here and they're down there. And they're like, like God's not even content to say, I'm omnipresent, and so I'm, I'm there with them. Like, God makes special ways for us to dwell with one another in richness and in fullness, and that is an idea that permeates the pages of the Bible, not just in our relationship with God, but even also in our relationships with one another. As you go through the book of Acts, again, you see it on page after page, and I could quote a lot more passages. We're going to look at quite a few uh, where this idea pops up. But being together matters. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is like this perfect picture of what the church is supposed to be. And then very quickly, the church doesn't look like that. But it's like when the church first starts, you get the idealized version of what church is. And you get it in Acts 2. And it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's remarkable to me some of the things that are central to Christianity are the things that you do with one another. They are the things that are done in community. Um, even, you know, the, 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 when you think of all the ways that Jesus could have had us remember his death, he could have said, hey, once a week for the rest of time, read the passion narrative from the gospels, rotate it, read one a month or something like he could have, he could have had us read scripture and that'd be a pretty good way to, to remember his death. I think he could have had, you know, a, a story be told about, he could have done a good number of things, but what he institutes prior to his death is a meal that you have with one another, where the different elements of the meal are reminders and uh, are representative of what he is enduring. It's like we tell the story of Jesus every week when we eat a meal together. 
That's intentional. That's community. That is relational. And he wants that to happen. Like Jesus, actually, when you read through his life, when you read through the Gospels, you'll see, especially Luke, by the way. Remember, Luke acts are kind of a continuation. Uh, Luke has Jesus more than any other gospel. His teaching and his interaction with people takes place at meals. And then when the church starts, that's like the first description of it is they're having meals together a lot. Meals matter. Community matters. Coming together matters. The Lord's Supper, that that matters. And it matters that we do that uh, in fellowship and in the presence of one another. Um, After his first missionary journey, you know, Paul goes to these different places and he's like rejected. He has to flee for his life. He is stoned nearly to death in Lystra. And then after those uh, events, this is the way the first missionary journey concludes. It says, and they returned to Lystra, where he was just stoned, and Iconium and Antioch, these very dangerous places, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And when he had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them uh, to the Lord. You know, Paul's a talented writer. He could have said, you know, it's kind of dicey for me to go back to Lystra. I'll just write him a letter. He wrote letters to other churches. Like, he could have found, I guess, other ways of encouraging the church. But one thing that Paul genuinely wanted to do, prioritized doing, and even risked his life to do, was to go be present with them. To actually physically go and surround himself and to pray together and to lay hands on them where he can actually physically touch them. Being together with the church mattered to him. It mattered a lot. So again, like I said, I'm just, I chose a, not completely random, but a small selection of passages. There are so many more that could be used. Sometimes even just small phrases about, I wanted to see the brethren then. I stayed with the brethren for seven days. Like there's just these, these phrases where Paul staying with the brethren certainly uh, mattered to him a lot. When, when Lydia is baptized, she has him stay with it. Like you could just go through, and it's, it's on page after page, the idea of being together and the idea uh, of that being uh, central and important. After the Jerusalem conference, right before the second missionary journey, this is Paul's plan uh, with Barnabas. It says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Again, he could write letters, but he's going to travel. He's going to travel miles. He's going to put his life on the line because he wants to actually see them in person and see them in the flesh. Um, After spending about three years in Ephesus, Paul gets together with their uh, elders as he's leaving and gives them some final admonitions, some words of encouragement, some warnings about things that are going to be heading their way. But one thing that you see uh, as the the final meeting with this, this eldership concludes is how much they actually longed to be in one another's presence and to continue to love each other. He says, he knelt down and he prayed with them all and there was much weeping on the part of all and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken that they would not see his face again. Uh, he told them that he's, he's leaving, he's going other places, he's not going to see them again and that's what made it the hardest on them. By the way, as you read through the New Testament, you begin to realize Paul did write letters to Ephesus, um, whether you're talking about uh, the book of Ephesians, which seems to go to that general area, or uh, or you're talking about First and Second Timothy. Um, like, he was still in communication with that church. He still cared about that church. He sent Timothy to that church. Um, 
but there's weeping and kissing and tears because he wasn't going to actually be in their presence as he was leaving. And, uh, and again, presence matters. In fact, it matters so much you see this idea pop up in his letters. Like, because like I said, he did write letters. There were times where he physically couldn't go be with people and he would write letters, but he would still talk about how much he longed to be with them. In uh, Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. It's like he, he wants to actually get there and do it. Uh, as he's drawing his letter to a close, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped by you on my journey uh, once uh, I have enjoyed your company a little while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So he's going to Jerusalem. He wants to go to Spain, but he doesn't want to go there without seeing the church at Rome. And so he wants to go spend time with them. Uh, this is, by the way, a community that he doesn't really know well in person. Uh, he hasn't been to Rome. Uh, or, uh, he ha yeah, he hasn't been to Rome. He, he didn't start the church there. And so Paul is going to be meeting new Christians there, but just the fact that they are united in Christ, even though he doesn't know them personally, he wants to go spend time with them because to Paul, presence very much matters. In fact, he ends the book of Romans with this long list of, uh, of you know, salutations, of greet one another passages. And he gives like a long list of names of people who should be greeted. And he concludes it by saying, greet one another with the holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And the idea I think Paul is, is saying there is you can't give someone a holy kiss unless you're there with them. Like, see these people. See them face to face. Give them love and affection and, and acts of kindness. Like, that's, that's how, if you have a lot of conflict in a church, which, by the way, the church at Rome did. The churches in Rome, you had, like, Gentile and Jewish. They didn't really get along with one another. And usually when he uses the word all, he's usually using that to mean Jew and Gentile. It's like, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is his way of saying, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, we're in the same boat together. Um, in Romans 1.16, uh, that, that's, that's the way that he uh, kind of gives his theme passage for the whole letter. He talks about uh, to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's like Jew and Greek is generally what he means by all. And I think what he's saying there is I don't care whether you're Jew or Gentile. Uh, I know you guys haven't been getting along with one another, but greet all of you uh, with a holy kiss. All the churches greet you. I, I think what he's wanting there is you overcome hostility by being in the presence of someone and, and showing and demonstrating love. I guess it's a lot easier to keep a grudge when you don't have to be with someone, uh, if you can just ignore that person and go on your way. Um, you keep reading uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul had to leave Thessalonica a lot sooner than he wanted to, and it killed him because he wanted to spend more time with those Christians because they were, they were a young church in a hostile environment, and he has to end up going because of that hostility. And he so badly longs to see them, to be with them, to encourage them. And so uh, while he can't do it, it says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So here's what Paul does. He has to be in Athens, but he sends Timothy to go see them and be with them. He also writes them a letter, but even that's not enough. What he also wants to do is he prays night and day without ceasing. 
that he can see them again. Like he wants to go be with them. Uh, in Philippians, uh, there's a, a guy named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus seems to be a member at the church at Philippi who took a gift from Philippi and traveled to where Paul was in prison and gave Paul that gift. And then he fell sick along the way or while he was there. And so it's like you have this guy who the church at Philippi loves. He's, he's like a faithful minister of the church there. And he's sick, almost at the point of death. Uh, and Paul is writing this letter back. He does get better, so that's, that's good news. But uh, Paul mentions that in his letter. And he mentions that he desires to send to them Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. I am more eager to send him, uh, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. He's like, if there's one thing I know this church needs, it's to be together again. Epaphroditus needs to be with you guys and you guys need to be with him. Uh, whether it's churches or just personal relationships, Paul will say to Timothy, uh, I remember your tears. I long to see you and uh, that I may be filled with joy. What's going to fill Paul with joy? <laughs> Seeing Timothy again. In fact, uh, he, at the end of Timothy, he's going to tell him to come, to come back to him. Why does presence matter? Well, I think one reason that presence matters so much is because being a Christian's not easy. Uh, I, you know, there, there are times where um, I suppose it could be a little easier, but there are also times where it's extremely difficult and you were never intended to do it alone. You were never intended to be a Christian on your own. I think there's some danger in how much uh, modern American Christianity emphasizes the idea of the, the personal relationship. Not that you shouldn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I would say very central to that is also having a communal relationship with Jesus. Not just with Jesus, but also the family of Jesus. Um, and the book of Hebrews is written warning Christians who perhaps are considering leaving Jesus behind uh, not to do that, to remain faithful, to remain faithful in all things. And one of the ways that the Hebrew author is going to encourage that is by saying, get together with the other Christians. Like, make sure that's a central part of your actions and your faith, because that will keep you faithful to Jesus. And so he tells them, take care, brethren, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You want to remain faithful to not fall away? See the brothers and encourage one another and do it regularly. Um, it is so much easier to drift away from Jesus if you haven't been to the church in months, if you don't really know people by name and they don't really know, if there's not a lot of contact, you could slowly quietly, peacefully slip away into your own life. And, and what the Hebrew author is saying is you shouldn't be in that situation. And by the way, church, this is also an admonition to us to look for people so that they're not in that situation. Uh, try to reach out. Try to make sure that we are not just a bunch of strangers who get together once a week and then go back to our separate places, but that we are a family and a community who encourages and strengthens and loves one another. Um, as uh, Hebrews continues and the main argument of the book continues, this is, I think, one of the central passages for understanding what Hebrews is about. And he tells them, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
for he who promised is faithful. It's like, hold fast, don't waver, and imitate the faithfulness of Jesus. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you want to encourage one another to to actually do love and good works and to put that into practice, you need to see each other. Again, if you make it the habit to spend time away, do things on your own, let the church kind of pass you by, then it becomes a whole lot easier to grow inactive, to grow weaker, and to slowly die. Um, The book of Hebrews is saying, do not let that happen. Uh, You were called to something greater than that. God wants to be present with you, and we as a people ought to be present with one another. So as we draw our lesson to a close, uh, there are some things that I want us to note. Um, Throughout Acts, you see this idea of presence. It's there on every page. Paul desperately wants to be together with the church, even at unbearable odds. You know, that was something he cared about. God wants to be present with us. You see that through the whole story of the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, you see this idea, if you want to remain faithful to Christ, spend time encouraging one another, being a part of his church. Don't try to do it on your own. It will not work. Be together with the church. Um, I want to encourage us to do the same thing, to be present, to make it a regular prioritized part of your life to be with the community of God, to be with the family of God, the church that meets here at Maryville. Put that above other things. Like, like make that a real genuine priority that matters to you. Make that a central part of who you are as a Christian and of what your faith is. I think the early church did that. I think it actually mattered to them. Even then they didn't have cars and even when there wasn't air conditioning, they would put in the effort to get together with one another into to because they loved each other and by the way if you say well it's hard to do it when you don't have good relationships it's hard to get good relationships if you don't do it it's like you have to get together if you're going to develop a community of love and so three uh admonitions as we bring the lesson to a close the first is to come physically gather together with the church like when, when we do worship, like we are right now, you guys are doing a great job, <laughs> well, well done. Uh, but try to make it a priority to come physically gather together. One thing that I am thrilled with and that I think is a very, very good thing is uh, the capability to worship online. Uh, the ability to be able to watch uh, the, the worship service and maybe even to be able to comment on Facebook. Like I think that's excellent. I think that... Um, I think the church often does things that are very, very good. However, and this is something I think most people are are aware of as well, just about every good thing that there is could be used in a way that makes it less than good. Uh, It can be used in a way that it actually produces perhaps more harm than good. I don't think that's happening, but I do think that we should be careful that what we're offering with online services and streaming and things like that is a supplement to your faith. When you can't be here, you can still find some way to be present. Like Paul. Paul wanted to be with people in presence, but when he wasn't, he would write letters. Like, he would do that. He took advantage of that opportunity. He would send Timothy. That's a good thing. He would send Epaphroditus. Like, he would find ways to communicate when he couldn't physically be there. But those weren't intended to substitute 
being there. Uh, being there also mattered a whole lot. And that was something that he would, would do the best he could to try to be a part of. And I think we should too. I think we should use the technology as a good thing to help us, but not as something that substitutes a good thing, which is actually being with one another. Now, I would also say to be honest with yourself. Uh, when it, comes to, uh, when it comes to missing services or when it comes to uh, worshiping online, you know, I, there are plenty of perfectly good, legitimate, even healthy reasons uh, to, to not uh, show up at church. Like, that's going to happen. There are going to be times in your life where that's, that's going to happen. That's fine. Um, and I don't think it's my job to look into your life and into your soul and determine whether this was a good reason or that was a bad reason. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I think you can do that. I think you can look at your life and you can ask, okay, I haven't been to services in a while. Why is that? Um, is it, am I genuinely doing it for health reasons? Great. If so, seriously, great. Do that. Uh, am, I, am I unable to make it? That's fine. God loves you and you are just as much a Christian as anyone else. That's not a reason. Like, like I don't want this to turn into people like doubting who they are. But at the same time, if you honestly look at yourself and you're like, I mean, I could, <laughs> but it's pretty nice to be at home and to just kind of turn it on while I make my breakfast. And you know, like if if you're looking at your life and you're honest with yourself and you do some introspection and you realize, look, I could definitely prioritize worship more than I do, then do that. Uh, prioritize worship more. Gather together with the church. I think it will not only um, be something that is helpful to the church, and I think that matters, it is also something that will be helpful to you. Uh, it is something that I think will be a, it's a healthy practice of the church that's been going on for thousands of years. It matters, you know, it's, it's, it's a central part of Christianity. And, uh, and make sure you are engaging in it, in it uh, if you are a, a Christian. And finally, and this is just a little advertisement, but for the month of June, we're also on Wednesday nights going to be having our, uh, a summer series. We're gonna have some guest speakers coming in and speaking on Wednesday nights on uh, a variety of topics. The idea of the, the series is going to be reaching in to reach out, preparing ourselves for the mission of Christ. And we're going to have some excellent speakers coming in to, to talk about how we do that, how we prepare ourselves to be those who can share our faith with others. What are good, helpful ways to share our faith with others? Uh, what are ways that we, in a culture that sometimes can seem like it's drifting from Christ, or at least Christ seems more foreign, how can we utilize that culture, not just to get into wars with it all the time, but to actually be able to reach people who are a part of it? Uh, that's one of the beautiful things about Christianity. And so these lessons will cover a variety of topics, and I want to encourage everyone here to come on Wednesday nights. Uh, be a part of that series. Uh, I think it'll be, there's a lot of planning and thought that went into it. Some very good speakers, some very good lessons, uh, and I think it could be beneficial to every one of us. So be sure and try to come to that if at all possible. And if there is anyone here who perhaps looking at your life and doing some introspection, you realize things maybe aren't what they should be. Uh, you have a community of Christians here who love you and want to help you through that, who want to pray for you and encourage you, who want to stimulate one another to love and to good works and to help you through those things. And so uh, now's, now's a great opportunity. Or if there's anyone here who wants to become a Christian, now is the best opportunity. Uh, you can come and sit on the front row. You can meet with one of our elders in the back. But if you have one of those needs, please come while we stand and as we sing.